and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot begins Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, teaching that Christ should be the believer's focal point, the believer's identity, and the believer's life. Christ ought to change our body's appetites, affections, sinful emotions, and speech. Christ should also change our whole perspective on who we are. This is how we avoid being hypocrites. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. There's a true story some years back of a church in Michigan. The building was located near to a notorious bar, and the church family wasn't very happy about that kind of a neighbor. And so they called special prayer meeting for the bar to shut down. And in about a week's time, lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. The bar owner sued the church as being responsible for the fire. The church hired a lawyer to defend itself that they had nothing to do with it. The judge said, if nothing else is clear, the bar owner believes in prayer and the Christians don't. Hypocrisy is our our topic this morning and we are in Colossians 3, 5 through 9. And this sermon on hypocrisy is for any and all of us who have ever cringed when one of our lost friends has criticized us with these words. You're one of those Christians. Every church is full of hypocrites. This sermon is for all of us who need to know how Christ being our life is played out in our everyday living. And when you pull back as if in a helicopter from Colossians 3, verses 5 through 9, you get a big picture. And the big picture from above this text is the following. Number one, it starts with the connecting word, therefore. See it in verse 5? Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, etc., This passage begins with the word therefore, which begs the question, what is it therefore? What is connected by the beginning of our passage for this morning with what preceded our passage? What propositions, what truths immediately precede verse 5 that verse 5 would say, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, etc. And to answer these questions... We answer with what the text tells us. Christ is to be our focal point. Verses one and two, I read. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep on seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So what precedes verse 5's therefore to consider our bodies as dead to immorality, etc., is that Christ is to be our focal point. But there's more. Christ is also to be our identity, verse 3. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But there's more, not only is Christ to be our focal point, not only is Christ to be our identity, but third, Christ is to be seen as being our life. Verse four, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So the therefore at the beginning of verse five links back to Christ as focal point, Christ as identity, and Christ as life. And then the scope of everyday matters that will be covered in verses five to 17 talks about some certain everyday matters that you face every day, that I face every day. Namely, first, the everyday matter of our body's appetites. Verse 5a, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. An everyday issue addressed in this passage is your body's appetites. Second, our body's affections. Our body's affections, verse five again. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, appetites, passion, evil desire. But the text here this morning is also going to address the difference that Christ is to make in our body's appetites, 5a, in our body's affections, 5b, and in our sinful emotions. Skip down to verse 8a. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Christ as our focal point, Christ as our identity, Christ as our life ought to change our body's appetites, our body's affections, our sinful emotions, and going on, our sinful speech. 8b through 9a. But now you also put aside all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Christ as your focal point, Christ as your identity, Christ as your life ought to change so you're not a hypocrite when it comes to your body's appetites, when it comes to your body's affections, when it comes to your emotions, when it comes to your speech. And last, verse 9b, Christ as focal point, identity, and life should deliver us from hypocrisy when it comes to be our perspective about who we are. Verse 9b, do not lie to one another since you laid aside old self with its evil practices. You laid aside old self with its sinful practices. The old you was crucified with Christ. There were no survivors from Roman crosses. The old you has been put to death in Christ. And the life you have left to live is Christ's life through you, Christ's life. This is a good, healthy dose against hypocrisy, church. When we understand at a personal level that Christ is our focal point, that Christ is our new identity, that Christ is our life, then it ought to change and bring into proper alignment our body's appetites, our body's affections, our sinful emotions, our sinful speech, and our perspective about our new identity. Now, going back to your friends I referenced at the beginning here, you know, the friends that say, that church is 
full of hypocrites. In fact, all churches are just full of hypocrites. Let's go back to those people. Do you know the main reason why those people make the assessment that the church is full of hypocrites? Because we don't die to our body's inappropriate appetites. And we don't die to our body's inappropriate affections. And we don't die to our body's sinful emotions. And we don't die to our sinful talk. People outside of Christ look into this church and they assume that we are all hypocrites, which we aren't, but we concede that some of us are hypocrites. They look in and make the blanket judgment that we are all hypocrites because we don't live out our new identity in Christ and we let our old woman or our old man that was crucified with Christ crawl out of the grave and the flesh take over how we live. Put another way, we are hypocrites when we fail to live controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because we bear the name Christian, and Christian means a little Christ. And when we walk around with the label Christian, but we do not allow ourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, then we are hypocrites. Because what we're selling, what we're presenting when we walk around in the flesh and not in the spirit is the deeds of the flesh that are exact same deeds of those without Christ. And those without Christ get angry at us because, not because so much that we do what they do by way of sin, but because we have the gall to call ourselves Christians when we do what they do. And now, the Bible's answers to your questions. Will God take away a spiritual gift if the person doesn't use it? Perhaps to give that spiritual gift to someone else who will use it. Let me begin by answering the question by, by going to Romans 11, beginning at verse 28. We read this. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, 29. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. In the context, those verses are speaking to the nation of Israel's current but temporary rejection of Christ. And if God's gifts to Israel are irrevocable, so are God's gifts to Gentiles. And if God's calling of Israel is irrevocable, so is God's calling of Gentiles. And so to get to the point of the question, if a Christian doesn't use his or her spiritual gift, they don't risk losing the gift, they risk losing reward at the Bema judgment seat of Christ, and they risk, in the extreme, losing their life on earth to premature death. Let me take you to some passages. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. 
If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is one of the two key New Testament passages on the future Bema judgment seat of Christ, where born-again individuals will individually appear before Jesus and their ministry on earth will be evaluated by Christ, not so much based on the quantity of that ministry, but based on the quality of that ministry. And that is pictured by comparing those ministries to items that are either not flammable items or items that are flammable items. And it's saying that the judgment of Christ on the motives on the heart, attitude, and service of believers while they were alive on earth will be something like fire. And as fire doesn't burn up some objects, fire also does burn up other objects. And the point being that some of the ministry that any of us do will not burn up under test. It will be rewarded, whereas some ministry that we will do will burn up when tested and will not therefore be able to be rewarded. As far as what the reward is, the scriptures speak of crowns. I think in all cases, those crowns will be laid at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus. I don't expect to see any crowned believers walking around heaven. But also there's a future literal thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth, and it would seem the scriptures teach that part of the reward that one can have at the Bema judgment seat of Christ is that Christ would delegate some of his millennial kingdom reign to those individuals who are rewarded. So let's go on to see James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. We know that we're talking about true Christians here because the verse begins with my brothers. And what seems to be going on here is that if a truly born again Christian uh, falls off the path of living under the Lordship of Christ and starts to live in disobedience, then other brothers in Christ should go to that person seeking to bring them back onto the path of obedience and correcting the error of that believer who is not walking in obedience to Christ. And it says that, remember this, whoever turns the sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Save him from death. I believe that saying that there is a possibility that if a truly born-again Christian perpetually walks in known disobedience to God, that they could be taken home to heaven prematurely as a judgment. I do not believe the scripture teaches that a person can lose their salvation for disobedience or any other matter, but I do believe that God strikes some believers dead, calls them home early, um, when they persist in known uh, sin. Uh, along that same line, a very sobering thing was said to have happened in Corinth at the communion table at the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 30, we read this warning. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. The preceding context to verse 30 is that the Corinthians were 
coming to the Lord's table with known sin in their lives. They were coming without allowing the Spirit of God to examine them for unconfessed sin. They were not waiting for each other when they took the bread or drank the wine. They were treating it like a regular meal, and they were just being uh, impolite and irreverent. And this is saying that when you partake of the communion elements in an unworthy manner, verse 27, then you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Still verse 27. Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Why? Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Oh, judgment? What judgment? Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak, that means illness, and sick, that means illness, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That is not literal sleep. That is a soft way of saying have died. So, Remember, we're answering the question, if a person doesn't use a spiritual gift, does he lose it? And we're saying, no, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He wouldn't lose salvation or the spiritual gift for non-use, but he could have reward denied at the Bema judgment seat of Christ, and he could even be taken home to heaven early for not utilizing as a good steward the spiritual gifts that have been given. One more passage on this. It is 1 John 5, verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. This verse uh, raises our eyebrow, at least it should, raises our awareness of the seriousness of sin because it says that there is a sin that leads to death. It does not say what that sin is. I personally believe that that sin that could lead to death is somewhat specific to the individual Christian. Um, God's grace is immense. His long-suffering is amazing. But I think there is a time according to scripture, when God's patience runs out uh, for a born-again Christian who persists in rebelliousness and known sin, and that for that person, that sin, whatever God deems that sin to be, God says, enough, I'm taking you home to heaven, no more opportunities to serve me on the earth, uh, no further chance for reward at the beam of judgment seat of Christ. I'm just taking you home to heaven through physical death. So long answer to the question, will God take away spiritual gifts from persons who don't use them? No, he won't. But you run the risk of lost reward and you run the risk of a shortened lifespan as a judgment of God. In Colossians 3 verses 5 through 9, we see what causes hypocrisy in Christians. And we'll also see two things which will keep us from being hypocrites. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. And so we are living as hypocrites when we fail to live controlled by the Holy Spirit so that he curbs our 
tendencies to immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desires, greed, and idolatry. Verse 5a, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. We come across as hypocrites when we fail to allow the Holy Spirit to rein in, to pull back on our sinful emotions, like anger and wrath and malice. First part of verse eight, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice. We are living as hypocrites when we don't allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to silence our sinful words, slander, abusive speech, and lies. 8b through 9a. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, here it comes, slander and abusive speech from your mouth. We're saying that if we're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us permanently and he's there to control us, to change us, to make us like Jesus. And when we don't give him the steering wheel of the car of our lives, then we look just like the world. We look just like the world when it comes to appetites, with emotions, with words, and then goes on when the Spirit of God does not give us a brand new viewpoint on who we are. Verse 9b, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its practices. You have laid aside the old self with its practices. You've recognized your old self has been crucified with Christ and now the life you live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. But when we fail to do that and we carry the label of Christian to where we work, to our marriage, to a lost person, to our community at payoff football. When we fail to live controlled by the Holy Spirit and we have this label of Christian that we welcome, but the Spirit of God doesn't control our passions and our emotions and our words and who we really are and how we see ourselves to be, then we are functional hypocrites. Roy is a friend of mine. He retired from General Motors Corporation at age 50. Before Roy knew Jesus as his savior, he and his wife had done lots and lots of timeshare vacationing at five-star resorts all around the world. But then Roy got saved. And shortly after his conversion, he was led of the Lord to go without his wife and kids on a short-term missions trip. And he picked a doozy. This particular trip involved very extreme trekking in the Himalayan mountain range. The purpose of the mission trip was to take the gospel and basic medical supplies, survival supplies, to the people who were living in the most rugged and remote and elevated regions of Nepal. Roy signed up because he was a marathon runner before all this. He was in excellent shape. And so off he went to the Himalayans, to the highest and most rugged elevations of Nepal, 
to bring the gospel and basic medical and survival supplies to the people who lived in that place. One of the things when I asked Roy when he got back, what hit you the most? This is what Roy said. It was a single question that a Nepalese believer asked him. Why are your churches emptying out and our church is growing bigger? Roy thought a lot about that question, as should we. And Roy's answer was that the church in the West, in Canada and the United States, is largely spoiled brats. And the church in Nepal is deprived of every comfort and in danger of death constantly. Personally, in answering the question of the Nepalese believer, why is it that your churches are emptying and our church is growing bigger? My personal answer, at least a part of it, would be that the church in the West talks a better Christianity than we live which translates to say we are hypocrites in large measure. And so this sermon's starting indictment, charge against us as believers from the outside, you are one of those Christians. Every church is full of hypocrites. Now, at this point in the exposition of Colossians 3, 5 to 9, I'm going to flat out assume something. I'm going to assume that there is nobody here in the sound of my voice who wants to be a hypocrite. I believe that no one here wants to be a hypocrite, and that's good. And with that assumption, there is an applicational question I need to ask you. Practically, how do we avoid living as hypocrites? We don't want to live as hypocrites. How practically do we avoid living as a hypocrite? For the answer to the question, please look again at verse five. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. There are two things that will keep you and me from living as hypocrites. Number one is we must consider And now look down to verse 8. The second thing is in verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. We must consider something according to verse 5. And second, we must put aside some things, verse 8. For us not to believe one way and to live the exact opposite way as a hypocrite, we must allow the Holy Spirit to control and to enable us to do two things, to consider something properly and to put some things aside. Let's expand it. Again at verse five. Therefore, there's the word, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. In the original Greek here, the word which is translated in the English, consider, was a bookkeeping word, a debit and a credit word. To consider was to reckon something as being so, to consider it as being so. 
This, of course, described then and describes today making a judgment. And here the judgment that we are to consistently make if we would not be hypocrites is that our body parts are dead, unresponsive, separated from the tyranny of things like immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desires, greed, and idolatry. Maybe you could picture it this way. If a person had the terrible crime in their life of being an arsonist, and they died and the body of the arsonist was at the funeral home, and there was a blowtorch and a canister of gasoline on the lid of the casket, because the arsonist is dead, he will not reach one inch for the blowtorch and the gasoline that he seemingly could not resist using when alive. That is evil desire, crucified. Or can you imagine a person addicted to the casino, to lottery tickets, to NFL betting, whose life was all about making more money without working. And there was $2 million in finely folded and bundled $100 bills on his casket. The greedy person who was dead would not move one inch toward all the money that he strived to win without working. That's death to greed. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.